Welcome to the Discover You podcast, where we take a deep dive into who you are and why you do what you do. If you're ready to learn how to be a better you, you're in the right place. And now, the host of Discover You, James Hooper. Welcome to the Discover You podcast, and uh, we've got a good one today. I'm so excited to be in the office of Pastor Robin Steele. He is the lead pastor or senior pastor of Promised Land Church San Marcos, and um, I'm excited to be able to interview him today. So, Robin, appreciate you being on today, and uh, I'm glad to have you. Well, thanks. Thanks for coming. It's an honor. Glad to be here. So we're going to get started. In most of my interviews, I just like to find out about people's history, you know, where they're from, uh, that sort of thing. So where are you from? Yeah, so I, I grew up here in Central Texas um, and had a good childhood, grew up in a Christian home. My dad uh, was a construction worker on a construction company and um, just a real basic upbringing. Uh, but my parents were very uh, strong in their faith. And so I, I was raised in church and uh, thought that maybe I would follow my dad's footsteps in construction. And so I kind of followed that path. And um, when I was in high school, I started getting the sense that I really didn't want to be in construction. I started working with my dad in the summer and uh man it was hot and hard and heavy and just i just didn't like it i didn't like it at all and so i was like man i gotta do something else and so you know i thought about different things but at the same time i really began to feel god calling me you know to ministry i didn't know what that looked like because i was naturally a very shy kid hated talking to people very introverted and so there was just this conflict of like, how could I be in ministry and don't want to talk to people? <laughs> and so I, uh, it was a very private thing, very secretive thing. Didn't tell anything, you know, didn't tell that to anybody else. Was just embarrassed or afraid to tell people uh, until I graduated from high school. And then I went to my pastor and told him and said, I feel like I'm called to, to ministry. And um, he said, well, okay, then I'll help you. He said, go get a, he said, go get a real degree <laughs> and, and I'll help you with church stuff. I'll help you with pastoring. So I ended up going to Texas State in San Marcos and I uh, got a degree in marketing, which is, um, you know, one of my natural interests was advertising and marketing. So I went ahead and got a degree in business and marketing and all the while was working as youth pastor in our church in Austin and um, just kind of worked my way through college. And uh, then when I got out of college, I did go to work for my dad uh, for a year. And, um, but I, but I was, I was just kind of doing that to do it, to have a job. You know, uh, the church wasn't ready to hire a full-time youth pastor and um, there wasn't really any other ministry opportunities. So, I, um, I worked in construction, and then my wife and I, uh, I got married right out of college, and my wife and I decided to move to New Mexico because she wanted to be a midwife, and there was a great college up in Taos, New Mexico, 
And so her and I uh, packed up and we moved to a little bitty town in northern New Mexico. And we were there for two years. And she went to school and I, I basically had a vacation for two years. <laughs> I worked at the ski resort and um, just, it was really a good season for me because I had been going to college and working and, you know, working as a youth pastor, just kind of burnt out, honestly, in a lot of ways. So it was a good season for me. And um, so I, we did that for two years and then, and then I, you know, my wife got pregnant with our first child and we felt called to move back to to Austin. So we moved back to Austin and that's when I got my first job at a church at the Promised Land Church in Austin as children's pastor. And um, loved that. I, I was able to serve God and just really invest in kids. I love kids. I love that that position. It was such a fun position. Um, and then in um, 2003, my boss slash pastor came to me and said, Hey, um, I feel like we should plant a church in San Marcos. Would you like to help us with that? And I said, Man, I would, I would love to do that. You know, I went to college down here in San Marcos. Love the people, love the landscape, love the river. And um, I thought, man, I would love to pastor in San Marcos. So he said, all right, well, let's go for it. And um, he said, I want you to help me out with the sound system. <laughs> and uh, I'm, he said, I'm, we're going to have a church on there Friday nights. We, we're going to borrow a church. And um, we're going to have church down there. And I want you to set up the sound system. So in 2003, January, we... Um, we started having church down here on Friday nights, and it was just old school um, church. I mean, it, there was there was worship and preaching, and that was it. There was no kids ministry. There was no no fluff, you know. Um, there was about thirty people that we started with that um, that were part of Promised Land Church in Austin. They had been driving from this area to go to church up, and the Promised Land Church in Austin is on the north side of town, so it was quite a drive. And so they were really pleased to have a new Promised Land Church in San Marcos. And um, so we started, you know, it was very simple. And um, and here we are 16 years later and um, still here, still in San Marcos. You've got another story that I want to talk about a little bit. Let's talk a little about Kennedy. Yeah. And um, she's your oldest and uh, you've... You've been on some some pretty public platforms about uh, about her, and in fact, we just had an episode second to last week of April, uh, a lady that had an abortion at seventeen, and uh, then how God kind of brought her through that and and restored her through that. But um, so let's talk a little bit about Kennedy and about y'all's life and and about her. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mentioned that my wife um, got pregnant in uh, New Mexico, and that was in 2001. And we decided, you know, she was really, my wife was homesick at that point. And she's like, I, you know, if we're going to start having kids, I want to be with you know, our family. I don't want to be off in some strange place. So we decided to move back to Austin. And it was really a God thing because about 30 weeks into her pregnancy, 
we went for a sonogram and the doctor said that he couldn't see something on the sonogram that he should see. And, you know, we couldn't figure out what he was talking about. He's looking, looking, looking at the sonogram. Finally, he says, I need you to come back with me to my office. And um, that was such a weird feeling because I've never been asked to go back to the doctor's office, yeah. you know, <laughs> like the where there's a desk and books and all that. Yeah. You go to the doctor's office, but it's like an exam yeah. room. So we go back to his office and he says, we cannot see your daughter's brain. And um, it should be, you know, it should fill up the skull. It should look like he showed us pictures. And when we looked at our daughter's skull in the sonogram, it was basically just a black space. There was, if you looked really closely at the edge, you could see just a tiny line. And he said, that's the brain. Mm -hmm. The rest is fluid. And so he said, you know, you can, you have several options. You can um, continue to have the pregnancy and the birth and um, we'll probably, you know, have a C-section around 38 weeks. Or you can go to Kansas and have a late-term abortion. And um, because he, you know, he gave us a prognosis of your baby's probably going to be born blind and deaf and not be able to do anything and because you couldn't have a late term in texas no in texas i don't know what the current law is but you could not have it at 30 Mm -hmm. weeks at that point so um but in kansas you could so um man it took us about 10 seconds (laughs) to say (laughs) we're not going to have an abortion um we just really trusted that god would heal her you know and that was our first reaction, our gut reaction. And so for the next eight weeks, we went weekly to the doctor and had follow-up sonograms. And every time we'd go, it would get worse. And that week, we would be praying and fasting. I mean, we had have a huge family. They're all hardcore prayer warriors. And mm-hmm. we would get together and pray and pray and pray just believing that the next time we would go would be better and unfortunately it wasn't so the day of the birth comes and we're like okay this is it this is this is this the baby's gonna be born she's gonna be normal and the birth comes and we're all excited because here she comes out of the womb and so it was like this dichotomy it was extreme excitement and 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 real excitement yeah. There's nothing like birth. It's mm-hmm. just phenomenal. But on the other hand, we could tell she was not normal. Her head was much larger than it should have been. And we could just tell she was not a, a normal baby. So they immediately took her to the ICU and did an MRI. And the next day, we met with the brain surgeon. And he said, well, we, we looked at the MRI and the, the image is actually worse than what we thought it was going to be. Hmm. Not only is the brain uh, being pushed by all this fluid, but it's not correctly developed either. So we're not sure what parts of the brain your daughter has, and we're not there's so there's no way to tell you what's going to happen. But yeah. we, we anticipate her living 
six months to a year. And so if you would like, you can just take her home the way she is and just basically enjoy her while you have her. Um, or we can do a surgery and the surgery is not going to fix her brain. It's not going to change that, but it will drain the fluid off and it will allow the brain to grow and, you know, it will prolong her life. But it still is not going to be a long life. Right. You know, it's going to be very short and right. she's, there's just absolutely no way of knowing what it's going to be like. So that decision took about 20 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> and we were like, we're doing the surgery. Yeah. We're going to go for it. You yeah. know? And so we did the surgery and, um, it, it immediately began to reduce the size of her head and drain the fluid off. And, um, it was very helpful and you know she, she her infancy she she did pretty well you know most people didn't notice she was a normal baby um and in so many ways and then though when she started supposed to hit these uh benchmarks she just wasn't you know not rolling over not sitting up not talking at one point she couldn't eat uh cuz she was choking and so um, very much a, a difficult, difficult infancy childhood. And, um, here we are today. And the absolute miracle is that she celebrated her 17th birthday, mm. um, last November. And she is just an incredibly unique young lady. Um, she has so many special needs, you know, she's in a wheelchair, She's unable to walk or talk. She's reliant upon other people for basically everything. Yeah. She requires 24-hour care. But she is just a joy to be around. Um, she expresses herself emotionally. So she loves to laugh and smile. And um, I mean, every time I've ever seen her, she's just smiling. <laughs> big old smile. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... Um, there's, I mean, I could talk for days about her and her life that she's lived and the meaning that she has and the impact that she's had on our family and our church. And, um, I was having a really interesting talk with my son. So I have two sons that are younger than her. One's 15 and one's almost 13. And just last week on the way home from youth, they go to a Wednesday night youth service. And um, I said, guys, what would it be like if your sister, you know, who's 17, was driving you home tonight instead of me? You know, like, what if you had a normal sister? Mm -hmm. And um, they they were just like, oh, man, it would be so good, you know. And my 15-year-old's like, I think we'd be really good friends. And, um, you know, it was just such a sweet thing uh, to think about. But... They also then stopped and said, and it's going to be hard to say, I get emotional thinking about it, but my it's so cool to see my 13-year-old, my 15-year-old son stop and say, how many things have happened good because of her situation? And how many connections that we've had and how many people um, 
one my son said, What do you what do you think the church would be like if she wasn't this way? And I said, Honestly, I think our church would be way smaller and I would be a worse pastor. <laughs> because before that happened, you know, before she was born and diagnosed and all that, my life had been totally different. You know, I said earlier, my parents were, um, you know, great parents, uh, always provided for us, you know, you know, they disciplined and all that stuff, but it was all healthy and, and, um, provided everything we needed, you know, paid my way through college and just an incredible upbringing. And I had never faced adversity. Mm -hmm. And quite frankly, I was, I was probably arrogant as a, an arrogant Christian, you know, if somebody had a problem, be like, get over it, you know, yeah. or just, yeah. just pray about it, you know, <laughs> and, um, where's your faith, that kind of thing. And so this whole scenario has really shaped my ideas and thoughts. And, um, it's really, it really has been my seminary, you know, mm. my, yeah. my understanding of who God is. Something happened very early on, about three days after she was born. She was in the hospital, and um, I was standing there by her crib, and I remember looking down at the foot of the crib. There was a the doctors had written notes, and um, you know now it's all on computers, but back then they hand wrote every note and. I could see the notes that the doctor had left for the next shift. And one of the notes that he had written was the parents understand that their daughter will not have a meaningful life. And when I read that, I was so upset. (laughs) So, you know, he wasn't trying to be mean, you know, he wasn't trying to uh, say anything, you know, to, to be mean or anything like that. He was, what he was trying to say is she's not going to be normal. Right. But the way it came out was she's not going to be meaningful. Mm -hmm. Her life will not be meaningful. And at the time I was so mad. I wanted to go find him (laughs) and lay hands on him in an ungodly way. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, honestly to this day, I'm thankful that that, was written because it has forced us to really evaluate where does meaning come from? Does it come? And I, and I, and I've thought, you know, like what would she have to do for the doctor to say she's meaningful? You know, would, would, um, she have to walk, you know, or talk or go to school or get married or like, at what point does someone become meaningful? Um, or is meaning not determined by what you can do? Instead, is it determined by who you are? Mm-hmm. And so, so that's one of the most profound things. And it's really the gospel, you know, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we, we have our identity from God before we do anything for him right. or anything for ourselves. And we're his kids. He loves us. He accepts us. And so the fact that my daughter has meaning 
it's so encouraging to people because if she has meaning and she can't do anything, mm-hmm. then I have meaning and you have meaning right. and everybody has meaning. And we ha- we don't have to perform for that anymore. You right. know? Like we don't have to earn it mm-hmm. from God. So um, that's kind of a little rabbit trail, but it's a good rabbit trail. Okay. <laughs> um, but she she's doing really well now. She was in the hospital for about a month last uh, well, this past March. You know, a couple months ago, she was she was in the hospital for quite a while. Her bowels just um, shut down, and um, it was pretty tough on us. I mean, we've had countless surgeries and hospital stays and. Really, the biggest threat on her life at this point is pneumonia. Um, if she were to get sick with pneumonia, it's really hard for her to fight it off. <clears throat> She's had it a few times. But um, at, uh, at this point, she's, she's been strong and uh, been able to keep moving forward. And, man, she's the toughest person I know. She goes through things that are brutally painful and difficult. And she has the grace yeah. of yeah. God. So it's interesting because uh, I like to talk about people finding their purpose and their destiny and all this kind of stuff. But the thing is, is people want to say, well, you know, what am I called to do? What am I called to do? And I contend that you really don't know for sure until you have some experiences under your belt. Mm-hmm. That you can't totally know for sure. You've got some interest. You've got some things that you like to do. But until life happens, until mm-hmm. things happen, you're not, you don't deal with anything. And so the whole thing with Kennedy has kind of given you a, a direction, mm-hmm. kind of changed you, changed you mm-hmm. personally somewhat. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think that's one of the things mm-hmm. we have to look at is, is when we face adversities in our life, when we face difficulties and issues with, you know, whatever circumstance it is, how we handle that is how we de- how we are developed, and mm. so I just I feel like that that's something I want people to, to learn from this podcast, from this episode is that you know until when you have things happen to you that that seem unfair things that you know why is this happening to me, it can actually be used as a tool because we know in Romans it says. God works all things together for the good to those that love the Lord and called according to his purpose. I quote that scripture all the time. But he works things together, and so it helps build who we are becoming. Because mm. we're never arriving, we're becoming. Hey guys, I just wanted to break away for a quick moment to remind you there are two different ways that you can actually help sponsor this podcast. Number one, you can go to the website for the book, the Discover You book, and the website is discoveryou-book.com, discoveryou-book.com. There's a link that will send you to Amazon, and for $9.99, you can have your very own copy. Secondly, in the description of this podcast, there is a link that you can click where you can go and set up a monthly monetary donation. Any amount would be great. Any amount would help us. So please consider sponsoring and help joining those that are already supporting us. I appreciate you guys for listening, and now back to the episode. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, would you say that's that's true with you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I like I said earlier, I 
was I, I had this inkling that I was supposed to have a certain position or calling or whatever, but my background and personality type and you know I wasn't born into a preacher's home. There was so many things that were against the natural flow of that calling that I did question it quite a bit and it wasn't until um, I just was faithful in the small things. I said earlier that my pastor um, asked me to run sound, but, and that's true, but before that, when I was, when I just graduated college and I told him I wanted, you know, felt called into ministry, he said, go get a real degree. And then the other thing was, he said, I want you to start teaching Sunday school, you know? And so I went to the children's ministry and I said, I want to serve, you know, I want to mm-hmm. serve in children's ministry. So I taught third grade for a year and then another opportunity opened. Anyway, I guess I concur with you that it is these moments and experience and um, situations that happen that begin to confirm God's calling in your life and or shift direction from one way to the other. Um, and uh, I'm a firm believer in being faithful in the small things mm-hmm. and letting God open the doors for you to do bigger things. Right. And um, sometimes we have people come to our church that um, just push themselves and try to have a title or mm-hmm. a position. And that just doesn't work. Right. Right. <laughs> On the other hand, I've had a pastor come that um, moved here from out of town. And within six months, he was on staff, you know, as a pastor. It just, he came in and was humble and started leading a small group and just, I'm a, I'm such a firm believer in that, I guess because that's the way I was raised, but I feel like that if you're not trying to force your calling or your or your purpose and all that, and you just trust that God does have a plan for your life, He will open the doors. Yeah. He will be the one. And I'm I'm still living that out. You know, like people, I think, I think people might look at me now and go, well, you've made it. You know, our church is pretty healthy. It's pretty big and I love it. I love our church, but there is still some drive in me to, Mm -hmm. to do other things, you know, bigger things and stuff. And I'm still at that same, just keep your nose down, keep working hard, keep trusting God. He's going to open up doors for you and just be obedient to what he's called you to do. Right. And when you're obedient to what he's called you to do, he will open up those doors. And he says that in Matthew 6, in the Sermon on the Mount, when he's talking about, you know, you could you could pray publicly and fast publicly, but that's the only reward you will get. But if you'll do it privately, then I will reward you openly, and it will be a much bigger thing. Right. 
So I want to talk a little bit about, you said, do what, just do what you're called to do. And a lot of people say, well, I don't know what I'm called to do. So I was raised in a pastor's home, as opposed to you. I was raised in a pastor's home, and I think it was probably expected that mm. I become a pastor. I did not intend to be a pastor because I was a background guy. I was I was the sound man. Mm. I was the guy to make sure there were batteries in the wireless microphones, mm-hmm. make sure all the cords were right, make sure mm. everything was happening right. That was what I loved to do. I was a fine arts major in college specializing in theater tech, so that's the people behind the lines. But when, but my dad felt called to start a church for uh, people like his younger brothers that, that had been in, in playing country music and drugs and alcohol for 30 mm-hmm. years, and God miraculously delivered them, but there was no place that would accept them. So he felt called to start a church uh, for them. And so when it was my dad and mom and me and my wife and the, his two brothers. And so we start a church. You've got to have a worship leader. And so mom says, I'm not going to lead worship. So mom don't lead worship. She don't lead worship. And my wife says, I sing too low. <laughs> and so I'm, you know, in my family, it's kind of a running joke. If you're born a hooper, you can't play or sing. We put you back. And so I can <laughs> I can play an instrument and I can carry a tune and so I said and I love worship so I said I'll lead worship and my intention was I'll lead it until someone else comes along because I'm the background mm-hmm. guy mm-hmm. I'm the guy that makes sure everything happens for other people and I began to do that and I did what needed to be done and this is the point I'm getting to is if you will do what needs to be done it may not be what you think is your calling. It may not be, you know, you started serving in the children's ministry in yeah. the Sunday school. And, um, you know, it was just what needed to be done. Yeah. The pastor wanted to see if you were going to be faithful in doing just mm-hmm. what needed to be done. And in doing that, in the actual act of leading worship, God directed me and, and I began to discover some of my giftings mm-hmm. and some of the things that happened. And he started creating a hunger in me for the pulpit ministry, and I had in no intention of being in the pulpit ministry. In fact, my dad, I love, I love my dad said I w- I'd not be a good pastor because I'm, I was too blunt mm-hmm. and too, uh, you know, I saw things black and white. I wasn't very compassionate like he was. And I've talked about this in the book, how we were so different. Mm-hmm. He was very mercy motivated and me not so much. So he didn't, he point blank told me I wouldn't be a good pastor. Well, what he meant was I wouldn't be a good pastor like him, mm-hmm. and he was he was a shepherding pastor. He yeah. loved he loved being with the people, dealing with the problems of the people. And me, I'm a I'm a high level person. I like making sure things happen because that background thing, being in the background, prepared me to see the big picture, see everything. But he couldn't see that. But just what I'm, my point being is doing what needed to be done. I was just doing it until somebody else came along. And then my brother and sister-in-law moved back. From, they had been in San Angelo working at Christian Radio, and they moved back. And we'd had a, a gospel singing group and all this other stuff, so I thought they would take over the worship. Mm. And God said, no, you're the man. And so mm. I continued to be the worship leader, and my sister-in-law was a keyboardist. My brother was my drummer, all these other things. And then God just started developing a hunger for me, and now I, I can't imagine doing anything else. I get so much fulfillment from what I do. Even this podcast, you know, mm-hmm. ministering to people. So that's that's one of the points that I want to tell people. You may not know what you're what you're called to do, uh, and those of you that are not, you know, of the faith community, you may not know what you're 
giftings are and what your purpose is, but do what is available. Mm. Do what comes mm-hmm. comes before you. What door opens, do it. And the thing is, is once you do that, then it'll lead you, and you'll other things will start happening, and you start getting a a desire. So yeah, absolutely, totally agree. I mean, people ask you to do something, go for it. Uh, you see something to do, do it, you know, and do it with a good attitude and do it with the best that you can do it. And I think that that creates so much opportunity. And then what you said earlier, you're, you're not arriving, you're becoming, mm-hmm. something like that. I think that, I think we should all, no matter where you are in life, understand that it's not about getting to some place and then being used by God. Um, it is about being used every single day, no matter where you are, no matter what you're doing. And I've started redefining success and winning in my particular life and ministry from, you know, a certain achievement or you know a certain level or whatever and instead seeing the value in one person Mm -hmm. that's impacted and if 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 you can make a difference in one person's life and and they are transformed if it's just one person it is so valuable we we can get discouraged sometimes if the numbers are small or that there's not that many people around or whatever. But Jesus invested in 12 people. And we're here 2,000 years later. Mm -hmm. So obviously that works. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, he spoke to thousands, but he personally poured into 12 people. Yes. There. And they were the closest. And so the thing is, is the impact you can have... When you just affect one person's life, you never know what kind of impact that's going to have on the world. And what you know, you just affect one person's life. What that person can can do and can accomplish. You're you're doing great things. Mm-hmm. And you may it may not seem like something big. It may not seem like something significant. But when you're affecting one person's life, you're it's accomplishing so much more because it, it's a multiplicity effect. It's a you know it will. It'll multiply itself because, you know, we talk about, you know, the world likes to talk about, you know, random acts of kindness and stuff like that. When you're actually helping to change somebody's life trajectory from a life of destruction to Mm -hmm. a life of living, you know, a victorious life and learning how to live. uh, This is a couple of preachers talking, so you'll have to understand (laughs) that. But when you're talking about helping people change the trajectory of their life from you know, headed to destruction, headed somewhere that's not, you know, going to turn out good, and you change that, then you've affected not only that person, but every person that person comes in contact with the rest of their life. And that's just, that's awesome, but you just, you do, and it's and it starts with just doing what what needs to be done. Yeah. And being, being faithful at it, and being the best at it you can. Do it with all your might, do it with excellence. And that sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, I I think you could say you you change one person, 
you've changed the world. You could call yourself a world changer <laughs> because the world's different. Right. A person in the world's changed. And I think that um, uh, another way to look at it is the way Jesus said, you know, when you've done it to the least of these. So anyway, and the bigger, going back to the bigger topic of calling and purpose and all that kind of thing, I think um, we sometimes shoot ourselves in the foot because we think that that is is we've got to do so many things to perfect it or be in front of a certain amount of people or whatever in order to be legitimized and i just totally think that's not what scripture says in fact even the great commission matthew 28 19 go and make disciples Mm -hmm. go to all nations make disciples baptizing them in the name of the father son and holy spirit and teach them to obey um i think a lot of people read that and go i need to go to another nation and when i get to that nation then i will make disciples but a more accurate translation of that is as you go Mm -hmm. make disciples of all people so don't discriminate. So it could be at the grocery store or the school or work or neighborhood or even your own home. You could fulfill that great commission and fulfill the purpose and meaning um, of God. I mean, mm-hmm. and and um, it can happen today. I mean, to me, that's so exciting Yeah, that I could I could be called of God to do something today. Um, at IHOP, <laughs> when I was there this morning, I tried to make a connection with the server, you know. And I mean, I didn't pull the Bible out and start preaching, but I tried to bring the light, mm-hmm. you know. Just it just, and to me, that's so exciting, you know. Yeah. To make a difference. Yeah. That's that's encouraging to hear that you're still trying to do that. I mean, you you minister every weekend to. What thousand people, mm-hmm. something like that. Mm-hmm. I get I minister to fourteen, <laughs> but but we still want to affect the one that we're around, oh, the man. people that we're around. I yeah. get well, you don't get to spend hours with those people. You get mm-hmm. to pour in for an hour, mm-hmm. you know, an hour fifteen minutes yeah. every weekend. But when you're out in your IHOP and stuff like that, when you're wherever you are, because a lot of people would kind of blow that off, say, "Well, you guys get to be on the stage." Mm-hmm. Well, that's mm-hmm. not what it's about. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're called to this this ministry. It's not it's not the glamorous life that everybody thinks it is, but it's a calling and it's a privilege. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so, but you're called to just affect the ones that you're around. And so, purpose and calling it's not a mystery. It's not a mystery. It's doing the opportunity that's placed before you, doing what's placed before you, just doing that. And as you go you'll begin to discover and things will start happening until you'll start learning more about yourself. Yeah. I think a good word for it is integrity. You know, having integrity in your calling and your purpose and that you're the same person no matter where you are, no matter who's watching. Um, you're you're solid right. and you're the same. Right. Um, and so, man, if, if people are turning it off and on, then it's not authentic. You know, it's not, it's not full of integrity. And so I just, I'm, a, I'm passionate about that as well. And so I err, 
probably I'll probably err in the side of being too informal on the stage because <laughs> I want to be myself, right? And I don't want to um, I don't want to come across holier than thou on anywhere. But right. so on the stage, I will I will definitely be transparent, and I will right. try to do things that funny or you know just mm -hmm. just myself you know right. because um i i just feel like that's integrity of of calling yeah that it's you're the same person no matter what yeah yeah i know craig rochelle on his leadership podcast always ends up saying by that people are not looking to follow someone that's always right they want to follow someone that's always real and mm. so uh you can be real and honest with people, not trying to hide anything from them. You know, listen, I've had struggles. We've all have struggles, but this is what, this is how God's helping me through it. And this is how we're dealing with it. And I feel like that's uh, imperative. I learned that a lot from my dad. My dad, I've grown up in the ministry, um, you know, in the pastoral ministry. You, you're around a lot of pre other preachers and things like that. And I saw a lot of, of, uh, people living dual lives and people being different. Mm. But my dad was always consistent. Mm. Um, he was bivocational most of his, his life. Uh, he did auto upholstery. And so, but he was the same guy when he was putting on a set of seat covers on a 57 T-Bird as he was when he was preaching his sermon. He was the mm -hmm. same guy. And uh, he never put on airs. And so I learned that. And so that's one of the things that we, we have to understand. We don't have to be fake. We don't have to be perfect. People don't need perfect people because mm -hmm. you can't relate to a perfect mm -hmm. person. So when you're trying to trying to affect someone's life, just be real with them. Mm -hmm. Just be real. You know, listen, I'm, I know what you mean. Mm -hmm. You know. So uh, let me say this. I don't know if we're out of time, but I th I think that you when you said that, it brought up a really good thought, which is if you do screw up or you do make a mistake, I think it's super important to come clean on it and oh, yeah. be accountable for it because you might think that your calling will only be intact if you don't mess up. Mm -hmm. But actually your calling is in jeopardy if you screw up and try to hide it. Right. That will actually be more damaging to your calling than if you um, try to act like it didn't happen. I've seen people that have tried to hide it and try to act like it didn't happen. And it just, it catches up, you know, mm -hmm. and, but the ones that have people in their life, the accountability, people they can trust, and they go to those people and they're straight up and honest, they get back on track with their calling and, and God gets all the glory for it. It's funny. I learned, I was telling my wife this the other day when I was in the insurance industry, I learned to own my mistakes. I said, because some of my biggest clients, my biggest agents were the, some of the ones that I made the biggest mistakes mm -hmm. on their account, mm -hmm. but I would own it. Mm -hmm. I would say, Hey, I messed up. I made a mistake. I'm going to do everything I can to fix it. There may be something that's irreparable about this. I'm hoping you don't lose the business, but I'll, I'll own it. And mm -hmm. the thing is, is you earn more respect by doing that instead of yeah. you, if you try to try to still look like you've got everything under control and you start casting blame and, and throwing other people under the bus, you, you don't, you don't have to get any respect that way. Mm -hmm. And so I learned that in the, in the, in the marketplace and learning that just own it, just yeah. own it when you make the state. And of course it came with age too. I mean, 
you know, you finally learn, okay, listen, I'm, I'm old. I just keep messing up. So mm-hmm. we'll just move on, you know? <laughs> so anyway, mm-hmm. well, I just appreciate you spending the time with me. And, uh, it's so funny. These podcasts, they never go the direction I think they're going to go. Not that I want them to go any specific direction, but, uh, I thought we'd talk more about, you know, how you mm-hmm. discovered who you were and that sort of mm-hmm. thing. But mm-hmm. it's just, I, I feel like this is something that's just really important to people mm-hmm. to understand uh, what we've been talking about today. So I thank you for being here yeah. and uh, for spending time with me, letting me come sit in your office and mm-hmm. talk with you. And uh, I look forward to many more conversations. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me. All right. Yeah. Well, we'll talk to you guys later, and I appreciate you for listening. Thanks for listening to Discover You with James Hooper. If you haven't already, please subscribe wherever you like to listen. You can also follow us on Twitter at DiscoverYouPod, or you can email us at discoveryoupod at gmail.com. Discover who you were meant to be.